Mario, thanks for joining us. Usually I'd start with somebody's sort of journey through business, but in this case, I want to start with your sort of journey in Australia, your childhood, your upbringing. Tell us about that. I came to Australia with my family, six sisters and two brothers. In 1956, we came from, I was four years old. We came from a little village in Sicily called Vizzini. When we got here, uh, we lived in Gatehouse Street, opposite the Children's Hospital for the first year. Then we bought a house on vendor terms, my parents did, in Curzon Street in North Melbourne. Mm -hmm. And after a couple of years, when I was in grade three, we moved to Essendon with a big block of land so my granddad could grow all the vegetables and chickens <laughs> running around. Good Italian. Yeah. Tell us about uh, some of your earliest childhood memories living in Australia. Were they, you know, enjoyable? Was it difficult sort of fitting into a new culture and that sort of thing? How different was your family to, say, other families in that Australia at the time? Uh, changing schools wasn't much fun and uh, was a bit of a challenge uh, between uh, the customs of the Italians mm -hmm. you know, and the Aussies type customs. Uh, for example, when your dad tells you off, you can not look at him in the eyes. <laughs> and when they tell you for school, you got to look him in the eyes. So you get belted at school and get belted at home. <laughs> So it was always the wrong thing, and uh, school wasn't the most exciting place for me to be in, uh, but uh, that was, I, I did okay. So you left school or you finished school, I believe, at the age I of actually, 15? Actually, uh, well, uh, I left school, I finished school at 15, mm -hmm. and uh, I became an apprentice motor mechanic. And why, why, why cars? What interested you? Uh, well, I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I did like cars. But more importantly, my brother, who's four years older than I am, he's a panel beater. Right. And he used to take cars home and fix them. And I was always hanging around and watching what he's doing. And I suppose when it came to what am I going to do, I thought, well, he's a mechanic. Maybe I'll become a, he's a panel beater. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'll become a mechanic. And that was basically, and I didn't have any particular reason, but that's what I did. And so you were a mechanic and then got into the, the uh, buying and selling of cars. What yeah, was I it? did my apprenticeship and what happened was that something's happened with me. Most things just, I don't plan it, they just happen. But mm -hmm. uh, I was buying a car mm -hmm. uh, when I was about 16 and I was going to do it up, do it up for my uh, so when I turned eight, I had the car. Mm -hmm. But then my sister said, well, she was two years older than I am. And she said, well, why can't I have that car? She wanted it first. So I gave it to her, you know. <laughs> so she paid me what I paid for it and whatever. And then uh, I bought another car. And then uh, bought another car. And then uh, my girlfriend's mother <laughs> said, oh, I love that car. I said, OK. And I said, that's it. I'm not doing that anymore. So I kept on buying cars and selling them, uh, you know, maybe two or three or four a year mm -hmm. and make a little bit of money. And as I got older and older, and then I actually, when I got to about 18, I was really doing good with it. Mm -hmm. But I, my mother insisted I finish my apprenticeship, which I did. And since then, I'm, since I finished my apprenticeship at about 19, mm -hmm. I've been self-employed ever since. And so after you sort of buying and selling cars on the side and for family and friends and that sort of thing, you purchased a car yard and started? Well, what happened there was that uh, my brother being a panel beater, he had a panel shop and I used to buy and sell cars and I was doing quite well and he was a panel beater so I'd get him to fix my cars mm -hmm. so I could sell them and he could work hard because he loves work and I didn't. And uh, so what happened there was after a little while, after I was making so much money and I was 20 and he's 24 and he says, this is not right, you're making 
all the money, I'm doing all the work, why don't we go partners? Yeah. So we did. So for the next two years, we just had a bit of a machine, happy you know, buying cars at auctions and fixing them and selling them. And then uh, the, the laws changed, and so we had to have our license and our, a motor car trader's license. Mm. And we said we might as well get a property. So we ended up buying a petrol station in Coburg, in corner of Sydney Road and Gaffney Street in Coburg. And from there, we sort of never looked back because we seemed to be quite natural. He was a hard worker, getting the cars ready. I was pretty good at what I did, buying them and motivating the staff. So we had one car yard, two car yards, three car yards. And being nice little Italian boys, we were taught not to blow our money, so we yep. kept on buying properties. Good, you know, saving. Property. Yeah. Yeah. So we bought a property here and a property there, and yeah. uh, after about 10 or 12, uh, years of doing that, we own property all over the place and we're actually making more money in the property yep. from the, the uplift of the property value that we had in the cars. Yep. And uh, so that's that happened for a while until I uh, had you know, had a bunch of kids, had a couple of kids, had three kids, bought a beautiful house, had everything happening, private schools, the whole works. Mm -hmm. And I said, what do I need to sell cars for a living? I'll just retire, semi-retire, just do property. Yep. So I did that mm -hmm. for about, I did that for about six months and it was the most boring time in my whole life. <laughs> it was just horrible, you yeah. know, just doing nothing. And you go and visit your friends, mm -hmm. and they were looking at their watches, you know, wanted to work. Yeah. And I was 38 at the time. Yep, you had all and, the time in the world. Yeah, so I said, uh, back at this, so I started looking for something to do. Mm -hmm. What would I do? I didn't want to go back to selling cards or doing car yards. And, uh, you know, when you buy property, it's pretty passive. You buy it, it sits there. Mm -hmm. you know, do anything. So uh, I was looking in the financial review mm. and I noticed an ad for car rental. I said, oh, car rental, that sounds interesting. Long story, I ended up buying it. Mm -hmm. We only had about 150 old bombs and out of Preston. It was Delta. Delta, yes, mm -hmm. it was in uh, Preston. And I did that and being doing what I do, I always try to make things better and easier. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, uh, you know, in the first couple of months, you'd, five cars would go in a day, two of them would come back on a tow truck, one of them never came back at all. Cause, <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't very exciting. Uh, so I sort of started progressing into putting a plan in place. I started buying better cars and mm -hmm. better cars and newer cars and putting the price up. Then I opened up more branches and more branches. Then I got a couple of franchisees involved. Mm -hmm. And anyway, a long story without uh, making it forever is that I was in it for 16 years. We started off with 150 cars. Mm -hmm. When I sold it, we were we we uh, had 7,000 vehicles, trucks, wow. cars. We're in every state, every airport. But we changed the name in 2000 from Delta to Europe Car. Right, right. Europe Car is an international brand, mm -hmm. and they convinced me that I should uh, become a, a franchise in the Asia Pacific region, which I did. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a lot, of, a lot of things happening, but we got into what other company out uh, uh, called National Car Rentals. Mm -hmm and we uh, got into every airport all over Australia. And it was going exceptionally well, everything was going good, but then I got an offer I couldn't refuse. And uh, From Europe Car? Yes, yeah. from, uh, now it's actually a venture capital, right. a VC from Malaysia, and they actually bought us, but they were negotiating, they were buying it on behalf of Europe Car sort of thing. Right, okay. So they ended up selling it to Europe Car. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got an offer I couldn't refuse, and guess what, I'm retired again. <laughs> <laughs> so so um, yeah, time up your sleeve, you had money, what, what, had, what well, did you do next? Uh, we had about 400 staff at the time, mm -hmm. and when I walked down, I walked with a piece of paper they called the check, yep. <laughs> and uh, two staff members. <laughs> so we moved into a Franklin Street little office that I had next to Europe Car. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, uh, we were there, and uh, but at that time, before the sale of Europe Car, I had been uh, in the property development business, mm. but as a silent partner, I had a partner, mm -hmm. and we actually built uh, in Franklin Lofts, so and we built we bought the Ansett Tower and developed that, and we developed the Audi showroom, and a lot of we did quite a lot of. Mm. But I was passive because I had good cash flow. Yep, I had uh, good money coming in. I could afford. I had good banking credentials mm. and uh, what have you. So we developed. Uh, a number of properties, but when I sold the business and uh, my partner and I went our separate ways, we'd both done well out of the partnership, mm -hmm. we went our separate ways, and I continued to develop on my own. And that's how the, basically how it started of me being a property developer. And was property always an interest of, of yours? Obviously yes. right the way through, you'd own properties, sold well, properties. Well, yes, I remember because I've always been in property, interested in property, but I've got a, a long, long history because being Italian, mm. uh, we don't throw money away and our parents insist we mm. get to 20 or 21 yep. and uh, you buy a property, you know, and yep. you get the money, they take your money off you <laughs> yep. and uh, give you an allowance of what you earn and then when you turn to 2021 they help with the deposit and you buy a little house and you live at home and uh, and that's been a pretty good story so it was always never by you know my parents my mum especially I uh, was never buying a higher purchase mm -hmm. never do uh, you know don't waste money pay cash mm -hmm. etc so it's been ingrained to us as children you yep. know about property so there's always been property and I know what we paid what we paid for our first house yep. in Curzon so we paid about two thousand pounds you know, and I remember, you know, so I've got a pretty good recollection of property. And what are some of the learnings, before we go into the next chapter of your life, what are some of the learnings you took away from your time starting uh, Delta and then and then selling to Europe Car that you've used in your in your next life as a developer? Okay, well, let's, uh, I could just say to you that uh, being a property developer is a walk in the park compared to being in the car rental business. Mm. The car rental business, I don't really, I pinch myself and ask myself, how did I do that? Or how mm. did we do that? Because the people, that you rent to when you've got logistics, mm -hmm. you've got smashers, you've got, you know, you've got, you run an insurance company, you mm -hmm. run a logistics company, an IT company, uh, you've got a, you got a car, car sales, panel beating, uh, you've got a, cars from Cairns, get them to Queensland, Queensland, get them to Melbourne, then people, the, the amount of accidents and parking infringements, speeding infringements mm -hmm. and servicing of cars, it's just, it's a pretty, coming into properties like, Retirement village. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing happens overnight. <laughs> Nothing happens overnight. It's like a marathon race. You just go slowly. You know, I'd like to to do one of the development like this one here. Yep. From start to finish, it's usually about five years. So there's mm. plenty of breathing space in between. Plenty of time to think. Where car rental is, uh, lots of staff, lots of accidents, lots of um, mm. uh, risks, uh, hail, damage, and you name it. So it was a it was a pretty tough tough gig. And so before you started Selvo Property Group, you partnered with PDG. Tell us about that period. Well, that was, uh, like I said, that was while I was in the car rental business. Okay. Right. It was, uh, it was in the last four or five years before I sold mm -hmm. from the, probably the, the, the late 99, 90, 98 or something right. to about 204 mm -hmm. or 205. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yes, I was, uh, we did uh, joint ventures where I funded Mm -hmm. uh, or some of a significant portion of it, and uh, uh, my partner at the time uh, managed the everyday operation of the construction. Right, and now Salvo Property Group, tell us about that. 
Uh, yeah, well, when uh, Silver Property Group is, I had a property that was on the corner of City Road and Clarendon Street, mm -hmm. which was one of my sites when I was in the Delta and Europe car. And uh, I bought that site for about 300000 in the early 90s, I think, or middle to early to 90s. And uh, I bought that for about 300000 and I uh, had it offer some... Uh, whatever, 12 or 13 years later, of $3 million. So I said, well, I can't afford $3 million, a lot of money for that site. So I sold it to a gentleman who got a permit to build a 30-level story building. Unfortunately, that gentleman with a six-month settlement, well, fortunately for me, but he got a permit, mm. but he couldn't, didn't settle it. So he lost his deposit, and here I'm, I've got a property with a permit for a 30 story building. I said, oh, okay. <laughs> so I said, well, I don't know anything about building. I'm not gonna do that because I was focusing other areas. Mm. And I got another offer. This time was for about 3.5 million. And they increased the permit to a 33 levels, from 30 levels and paid their $350,000 deposit and they didn't settle as well. So now I've got a better property, a property with a bigger permit. And now I'm retired from car rental. I said, well, how hard can this building properties be? <laughs> so I decided that was my first one on my own. Yep. I decided to um, build it, to build on that particular site. So mm. this, uh, this area, the South Bank area, mm. at the time there was nobody up this end and it was like a bit barren. Mm. And when I rang one of the real estate colliers, the real estate agents, I said, I spoke to their manager, I said, look, I've got this property with a permit, I'd like to start marketing and sell it. And they laughed at me and said, are you for real? <laughs> that area, that site, so close to the freeway, wasting your time, you wouldn't sell an apartment, you wouldn't do this, you wouldn't do that. And I said, okay, good. So I put my team together and within three months we sold it all out wow. for significantly more, you know, exactly as we budgeted. So mm. I said, how easy is this, right? Mm. And then we bought the adjoining property and the adjoining property and the adjoining property. And uh, in the meantime, everybody's come around to South Bank now. It's going about, we were the first in the area yep. coming from Clarendon Street towards the city. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of our sites have gone well and uh, it's all done exceptionally well. But, you know, getting the first one and getting it off the ground. Mm. And like I said, is things just happen for a reason. They don't just happen. I don't really necessarily plan them. Mm. I didn't plan to be a property developer. <laughs> I didn't plan to be a car rental person. It's just things happen. And uh, if you uh, uh, just you fall into it and make the most of it, and if you're uh, pretty good at what you do, mm. well, I suppose when I say I'm good at, I'm pretty good at finding the right people that know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, it seems to work for us. And you've done a couple of projects in Southport and up in the Gold Coast, a couple in Sydney, but mainly you've always stuck to South Bank. Why, what, why South Bank? Well, South Bank, I mean, if you're finding gold nuggets in your backyard, why would you go and travel to Ballarat or go to, to, to Mexico or where else? I mean, mm. it's been working for us really well. We know the area, our customers know us, uh, we've got local builders we work with, so it's just, uh, it's, you know, why travel when, when it's there, you mm. know, so I, I don't understand why we've done it, mm -hmm. uh, but it's uh, more difficult, uh, you know, flying there, inspecting, meeting consultants, etc. So if we needed to, my parents came to Australia because there was no opportunities in our village, uh, otherwise they would still be there. And I would travel interstate or anywhere if I didn't have the opportunities here. Mm. And we have great opportunities in Melbourne, mm -hmm. so that's the reason we don't travel, we don't need to. 
And over your career, you've done hundreds of deals. What do you think are the, the three, you know, two or three fundamentals to every deal that you've done? You have to seize the opportunity. So I say to people, people ask me, another way I put that is they ask me about the success or why do you have been successful? Mm. And I say that, that uh, my view is that you need a balance of probably about 33, 33, 33% mm. of common sense or brains not academic brains, just common sense brains. Uh, 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 common sense, then you also need balls mm -hmm. and determination. So if you put those three together to have these opportunities pass people by, but they just don't seize it on, they're not prepared to take the risk, or they're not prepared to work hard enough, all of them. But if, you can, if you've got the, the, the common sense approach mm. and uh, you've got the determination to make it work, common sense or brains to evaluate the situation, mm -hmm. then the, the, the determination, then you're prepared to mortgage your house or take the risk, mm. right, to uh, get the funding, whatever, well then that's the formula as far as I'm concerned, because mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people have opportunities, but they're too scared or they don't have, they don't take them up because they don't think uh, why other people have the opportunities, but they're too lazy and mm. they just think it's going to happen. And is that something you've instilled? I know a couple of the, the family members, uh, sons and daughters work in the business. Is that something you've sort of instilled in them as well? Well, I think so, because growing up, I'm not sure if I planned it that way, but uh, they see dad and they said they've worked in the business that are my older children they were a part of the journey in Europe car and they all worked part-time when they were younger and uh, all of them the three older ones have probably worked an average of 10 years each with me uh, in the car and they see how how it works they've picked it up and uh, I think they've got the the determination and uh, of that they got all the, the assets I suppose that you require. Mm -hmm. Mario, I'm interested to know how do you stay active during periods of weaker markets like in 2008 with the GFC or more recently? Well I, what I can say is that I've been in business for over 47 years, probably 50 years, right? And in that time we've seen GFCs, we've seen global financial markets, we've seen all sorts of things. And I can tell you, I've never felt any of them. Mm. I've been successful all the way through because when uh, in these times of adversity, uh, there's opportunities, great opportunities. So for example, when I was in the car and truck rental business and budget credit car went under, went broke, well, I was able to buy sites off them for a song Mm. Right, and buy their trucks and cars for a half the price what they paid for them. So then I could rent them out for less than I could, so mm. I was more competitive. So I see that as an opportunity. Now, if it's tougher, and while I seem to be in, I'm in a position at this point in time that we're financially much better off than I was uh, in the budget days, so there's if you can buy, it's all about buying. If you buy the sites at the right price, you can pass on the savings to the purchaser. Mm. So the lower, the P who has the lowest overheads is most competitive, will always survive or prosper in a weaker market. So I'm not ever concerned about uh, about uh, if it's tough, when it going gets tough, mm. the tough gets going. Go. It's always been my motto yeah. and it still is. So I see when it's boom times, we'll do well. When it's bad times, we might even do better. Mm -hmm. And what's your view at the moment? And what's your take on the market at the moment? Well, we've uh, got one under construction, one started launching and we're selling quite well but like again again it's always about uh, it's all about being competitive and now I've always got the view is that you whatever whether it's a cafe or a restaurant or, or car rental it's all the same philosophy if you can give the customer more 
for the same price, more for the same price everybody else is charging, well, you're going to get the business. Mm. And if you can give it for the same, if you can uh, charge them uh, less for the same product everybody else is giving, you're still going to be in business. So mm. you win win. It's always about being competitive, and it's, everything is in the buying, the cost of goods sold. If you can focus on the good, cost of goods sold, so we don't go and buy 10 sites a year, we might buy one a year. Mm. Or, you know, because it takes five years. So if you buy one a year, you've got 15 years, you've got plenty oh, of fine. stock. You know what I'm yeah. So it's basically about just, you don't just go bang, bang and buy everything. Mm -hmm. You look at 100 and buy one, look at 100 and buy one. And mm. if you're that size, you're competitive, you'll be fine. We're in a beautiful uh, Selvo uh, building right now. What are the, some of the characteristics of all Selvo buildings right along South Bank or wherever it, wherever it may be? Well, obviously we find, like, beautiful, look at this site, it's on a corner, it's mm -hmm. got amazing views, it's high, and what we do is, when it's a, a large enough building, we don't do 20 or 30 because you can't give the economies of scale to provide beautiful facilities, amazing pools, amazing gymnasium, great views, amazing facilities, fast lifts, so some builders will go along and put the slowest lifts and put the slowest, the scungiest pool, so we like to put all the amenities in so everybody has great so when they come here they look at they look at it and they, they look at the, the display or they come through here and uh, we've got the best price we're competitively priced we've got amazing good quality we use the best builders we use the best lawyers we use the best engineers so mm. we just tick all the, all the boxes and the main part is to design a beautiful building that isn't overly expensive you don't have to spend a lot of wasted money on uh, on uh, uh, the things you don't get any value for. So it's a, it's a value. We're looking at value. And I believe all every business I've ever been to or operated, it's about value for the customer. Mm. So Mario, was there anybody that you looked up to as a mentor or that you mentored over the years as well? Don't mentor anybody in particular. People ask me, if people ring me or ask me about things, I'll answer the questions, I'll assist them if it were possible. Right, uh, but uh, I don't really have, never had a mentor uh, that someone uh, uh, has mentored me. The only person that I could say has had a great influence on the direction I've gone to, uh, and not that he purposely did that, but it just uh, I envied or I admired, mm. is my oldest brother, who is Dominic, who's 18 years old than I am, and I was in awe of him because he had a car and we didn't. <laughs> and he had a business like a milk bar and we didn't, and he had a cafe and he did this, so he was like to me, wow. Uh, so that's about the only person I could, I could say that uh, that has, uh, has um, you could say, I would say mentored me, but I, uh, uh, for his uh, determination, hard work, and he always had a go. And he was the person that came to Australia before we all came, my oldest mm. brother. He, he, he uh, was the, uh, set the path. He came, he said, I'm getting out of this little village, mm. came to Australia, and lucky for me, and lucky for my family, for all of us, that we're in this beautiful Melbourne, this country in the world. Where to from here? I have uh, three younger children. I'd like to obviously guide them along in there. Uh, I've got three older ones that are pretty well set in there. They're, they're already, the way I've got three younger, younger kids, I'd like to see them through and make sure that they become good, honest citizens. Uh, obviously, looking after health because uh, you know, looking after yourself physically and mentally. And I don't really ever think of the word retirement. I'll never retire because uh, if you retire, you'll be bored mm. to death. So I like to keep my 
you know, I've got a good, very good team. I've mm-hmm. got a really good team of young guys, young people working, and they they basically drive the business. I coach them a little bit, only mm-hmm. a little bit. I used to coach them a lot, but now they coach They're me. <laughs> uh, so I just love the, I love uh, being in business. I love uh, the meeting the people. I love opportunities. I love meeting you today and talking mm-hmm. today. And uh, so now it's all, it's all a bit of fun. Retirement doesn't enter my, you know. I like to manage people yeah. who run my business or businesses and uh, yeah. and help them in their journey. I, I love seeing the young people develop, and I think that uh, in my career, I think that I've. I've uh, been told by many, many people that uh, they learned a lot from me and uh, worked with me, and so I'd love to see them develop and be successful and be good, honest citizens. Well, Mario, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure.